I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Uh, Today we have a very special guest, Ellie Perlman. I'm really excited about this interview. Uh, Ellie has, her accomplishments are probably really too long to list. She's uh, an amazing real estate syndicator. She's, uh, I guess, former recovering lawyer, uh, and she is a Forbes author and recently uh, is launched a fund. So lots of things to talk about, I think, in terms of real estate, but I guess where I'd like to start, Ellie, is if you could maybe tell people kind of your story. I, I know I know a lot of it, but you know, kind of, I, I think you're, you're in, you have a very interesting sort of background and beginnings. And in a lot of ways, I can relate. And I imagine there are a lot of other people out there as well that that would relate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can take us back to probably mid-80s back in in Israel, where where I was um, born. I was born to a family that was um, not wealthy, not middle class, not even lower middle class, but uh, rather poor and um, at some point, I remember that the welfare system uh, intervened, and there was a whole question of whether we're going to stay. The kids are going to stay home. I was um, the oldest of four kids. It was me, two little sisters, and my little, one little brother. And my um, my mom was sick at that point; couldn't really take care of us. And my dad didn't have a steady job, and so at some point we were, you know, my parents were fighting the system not to take us away from them um, and put us elsewhere. And I, I don't know what would have happened if that was a reality, but, but that was my reality. And I remember, um, you know, when I was 11 years old, I used to clean um, synagogues to help my parents. Um, I think we would get something equivalent to like 40 $35, something like that um, for, for cleaning. And it's um, at some point I understood when I grew a little bit older, I understood where we are in the food chain. And I said, you know what? Um, I got to do whatever I can to not be in that place when I'm old enough to take care of myself. And I just had a conversation today, actually, with someone who had very similar background and is a very, very successful uh, real estate uh, investor. And he said, when you're poor and you become wealthy, you're, you never leave that place. You're always going to stay poor. And in that sense, I, I, I can totally relate to what he was saying. Um, he, he just told me about a friend of his that made 10 million and then retired. And he said, I can never retire. And I've made you know more than that because, uh, and, and I totally agree. I can retire today if I want to, but I can't because part of me is always that eleven-year-old kid that is that needs to um, to clean the floors to make money, and so 
I know that that I'm blessed to have um, to not worry about money, but it's an irrational thinking. You still got to work hard because you don't know what's going to happen and you got to brace yourself. Um, I mean, there are huge companies there, you know, that, that failed and, and you can never know, you can never know. So um, that's kind of the mindset of just working every day. Like it's the first day of your startup. Um, that mentality I took from MIT. Um, but going back to my background, um, I worked really hard to get into law school because I thought I always wanted to be in real estate. But I thought, you know, I, I need to have money to invest, which is wrong. Um, but I didn't know, know it at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to become a lawyer. And I'm going to represent people that own real estate. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and after I practiced law, I realized pretty quickly that I think I'm on the wrong side of the table because I'm sitting around the, the circular table and, and my, you know, me and my colleagues are on one side and our clients were on the other side and they were building multifamily assets. It was Eastern Europe because we were in Israel. They're buying Eastern Europe and they were flying all over and looking for lands and building projects and buying projects. And I was so amazed and so excited. It was always, for me, I was excited to hear your, their stories. And I, you know, I told myself, I think you, you're in the wrong side of, of the table. Um, and I told myself, you should do whatever you can to get on, to get on, to get, to get a piece of the action and get closer to real estate. So I quit my job as a lawyer and I became a property manager. And it's really not a glamorous position. And people, I remember one person told me, you were a lawyer and you became a property manager. Yeah. That's not very smart. But, you know, I didn't care about titles or prestige. I just knew I wanted to learn it. I learned a lot. Um, four years, I learned a lot about um, tenants and how to handle um, relationships with tenants and, and, you know, how to refinance reports and how to operate. Um, properties. And then March of 2014, I decided I'm going to quit my job um, and move to the States because I want to start a real estate company. And I want to be in a place that is going to give me all the, the tools to succeed. And I, I've always seen the US as that country. Um, so I came here to MIT and I got an MBA degree. Uh, learning really how to start companies, how to work on a tight budget, um, how to raise money from from investors. And so learned all that. And then with that um, scrappy entrepreneurial mentality, started Blue Lake uh, shortly after graduation. Um, and I, I see it as I saw it from the day one as a startup. So I was hiring people from day one I was working on build, building processes. So we have, you know, today we have 30 to 50 deals we look at every day. And we have this pipeline that I created early on. So the goal is to create a company, not to buy an asset and grow organically. Um, that's, uh, that's the short version, I guess, of, of my story. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the short version with a whole lot to, you know, sort of, bring out of it. Um, and I think, you know, I feel like I've, I've heard this from a lot of people, uh, you, myself included, people who who didn't come from money, right? You, I, I totally agree. 
that never leaves, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how successful you come and, and become. And I, I almost think it it drives you to be more successful because whatever it is, you're trying to escape, you're trying to prove something. I, I don't know, you know, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, but it's your, it doesn't leave your mind. It doesn't leave your heart, what it, whatever part of you it's there. And so you're like, it's, I don't, I don't ever want to be poor again. Like I, I, but also like, I don't, but you can then use that to extend it to, to your family, your, your people, you know, you can use that, that drive to, to help others and things like that. So I think, yeah, I, that it doesn't leave you. I, in a way, like, I don't know if you agree. I don't want it to leave me. Like, mm. I don't, I don't want to, I realize it's a part of me and I, I, it's a part of me that has gotten me to where I am and it, it will get me to, you know, sort of the next level. I, I believe it's, you know, at times it, I think maybe when you're young, there's some shame associated with it or whatever, you know, when you see, I, I mean, I've heard you sort of tell a story about this, but when you see, maybe you don't have what the other kids at school have, right? Yeah. There's just, you know, there's that thing. And at first you don't realize what that means. And then eventually you may, you may realize what that means. And, and you just kind of, I think it's, I think it stays with you. So I think that's uh, a, a very true statement. And, you know, like I said, with the other person you were talking to, there's no, there's no interest in retiring, right? You're just, you're searching for whatever that next win is, whatever that next, you know, kind of level is. So I think, I think that's, that's a really actually important driver of success. It's in, in you, I mean, it sounds like from you were cleaning synagogues at 11. So it, <laughs> you had that, that's in a way, you know, sort of that work ethic and entrepreneurial spirit, spirit always. And then you took that into becoming a lawyer. And then you, you, it seems like you always had the goal and you did whatever it took to get there. Um, yeah, pretty much. I'm just, a, I think at some point I realized later, late in, in life actually, that I'm, uh, it, I'm basically a challenge junkie. I love a challenge. I love when people say you cannot do it. I've been yeah. told that so many times yeah. and I love the challenge, uh, you know, I, I love to work hard in because there's nothing more satisfying than going through something challenging and looking back and say, wow, I, I did it. I yeah. did it. And it's so energizing. It's so um, inspiring also to people that you care about and want to be a role model to you. Um, and, and I, I always like, I always like a challenge. It's, uh, if it's too easy, you know, I worked in tech before and very easy jobs, six figures, you know, getting to work at 10 AM, leaving at three or 4 PM, doing all your work and more than you've, you've been asked to do. And yeah. it was just not, it was so boring. I was so bored. I was making very nice salary, but I was really bored. I needed a good challenge. And um, in a way, you know, real estate is, is constant challenge. You're never going to be bored in real estate. There's oh, something always happens. It's, it never goes according to plan. And, you know, I, I love that part. I love that part in, in real estate. I love that part in real estate because it keeps you on your toes. 
you feel that you're, it energizes me. They feel that I learn something new almost on a daily basis. Um, I get new ideas. I meet new people, even during COVID, you know, through Zoom. And um, I expand my, my horizons and I feel how my, my whole being is kind of expanded and become deeper and more um, informed and, and just better. I think a challenging career is making you better in many, many fronts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just the, the mental stimulation, right? If you're just sitting at a desk all day and it's easy to do your work, that's, that's going to, I think, decrease your motivation to, to sort of accomplish anything really at that point. It's like you, you need that, uh, you know, those challenges, like you say, to, to kind of keep going and keep pushing. But you, every, every step that you took does seem, and I don't know if this was intentional along the way, but it seems like it all built towards, you know, sort of where you're at now in the sense that you, you were practicing real estate law, then you're a property manager. And so, and even the tech side of it, like there's a lot of tech now that's going into, um, you know, the new smart homes, smart apartments, things like that. There's a lot of tech out there. Uh, and then also just getting your MBA. So you, all of that, and and again, I, I'm not sure if you did it intentionally, but all of that is going to contribute to your success now Very at this point. Very intentional. And some of it was painful when I was a property manager. I did not like it. I wanted to quit and I didn't because I knew that I needed this experience. And I knew that going into MIT, if I'm going to have gaps in my resume or if I'm going to work in something that is not related to real estate, I'm going to have to explain the deviation that I'm not on track. So every step, every step was actually very calculated. I was creating a path. I didn't want things to just happen. Um, So in law school, I was focused on real estate law. Then that's why, you know, I I became a real estate lawyer. And then I I switched to to, uh, a property manager. And then, you know, when I went to MIT, then the the focus shifted a little bit to build in a company, it didn't have to be necessarily, I also took, uh, you know, real estate classes there and learned how to underwrite real estate. Um, but the, the, the core was to look at it as business, as, as a business. And that's one of, I think, the most powerful things in any industry is to come with knowledge and mindset of a completely different industry and implement it. So there's a lot of things that I see in business. I see it as um, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. You know, I'm looking at the marketing aspects and I'm looking at the processes, and that's a big thing that we, you know, that people l- learn at MIT: how to build processes, how to make, uh, how to run on a tight budget, how to be scrappy, and all those things. You know, when I started Rulik, I started a company. I didn't just started an investment firm. Everything was very much designed from the first day to scale marketing, to scale the underwriting, everything that I did, I created a process. Um, and when I, at first I did everything and it was extremely frustrating and um, also not very smart, um, but I felt that I needed to know every area. So I'll know who to hire. And then I basically wrote down, it was kind of a chart. Okay. What's just, you know, okay, this is the, your process. Where do you want to be where, where do you, and where do you have to be and where do you not want to be at all? 
And then I fill in the gaps and hired people to fill in the gaps where I did not want to be in or um, didn't have to. And so the focus was what areas of my business do I actually have to be in? So for instance, speaking with a, a billion dollar fund who wants to invest with us, that's something I would still want, need and want to do. Um, but um, running you know, the numbers, doing initial analysis, I have to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm as my, it, it, might, it may not be, but I'm not a numbers person. I don't like numbers, even though I'm very obsessed with numbers. Um, I prefer not to sit down and underwrite all day. And some people love it. Yeah. So you find someone who loves it and you hire them or you partner with them and they do it. So you can focus on what you enjoy. I enjoy talking with people. I enjoy, you know, speaking with partners and, um, you know, that side and speaking with investors, I like to stay active in all the other things, you know, you can hire or partner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, uh, certainly, you know, talking to that, those large investors or those big funds, they're going to want you to be the person that they talk to, right? Yeah. Like, like they're yeah. not going to want to talk to your assistant and things like just because they're going to invest large amounts of money. So they want to know that, that they can, you know, know, like, and trust you at, at this point, you have a track record. I don't think that's probably a hard thing for you to establish, but it's uh, certainly it makes sense for you to be there and not sitting in front mm -hmm. of a computer and underwriting the 50 deals that are, that are just coming through the email every day. So it, it, it makes total sense. I'm interesting, interested to know, did you, was that a, was that a mindset shift that you had to make in from like doing all the work to running the company i guess the example is like as a as a property manager you're in the day-to-day -day, you're kind of yeah. there in all of the steps that you took along the way even i would assume as as a lawyer you you're you're very involved in a lot of it and then you sort of got to the point of of starting blue lake and you said okay now i'm i'm running a company and you have to step back and be the visionary and the ceo and and like I said hire the the right pieces and put them in place was was it hard for you to make that transition? And also, I guess because we touched on sort of, you know, that work ethic that you developed at a very young age, and you're you're always looking to to do things and the challenges. Did you feel like it was hard to to stop wanting to do everything and actually like spread that out, delegate it, you know, whatever whatever the right terminology would be? Yeah, extremely hard because Type A personalities they always want things to be done in a very specific way and it, it, it's hard to delegate and you gotta i think my my number one job is to find the right talent it's the number one job is to find the best underwriter to find the best investor relations person to find the best marketing team and it's hard to let go and it's hard to say you know i i trust you now go run with it and um and when the product is not exactly what you want you train them you adjust it and it, it took me a while to be comfortable uh doing it it was not easy for me to do that was one of the hardest things i have to do i've had to do but at some point i realized if i want to grow i cannot control everything 
it started from if I want to grow, I cannot do everything. But I hired people and I was micromanaging them. And then I said, if I really want to grow, I cannot control everything because all I'm going to do is audit everything they do and I let go. And once I've done that, my company just skyrocketed. It's, it's just amazing. If you have the right people in place, the good employees, the stars, they're not going to want to be under uh, um, miss, um, micromanaged. micromanaged yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. They're not going to want to be micromanaged and it's mismanaged also in my opinion. They want to have the, their own kingdom to run with and to lead and you got to trust them. And if you don't trust them, then you either got to work on yourself or you just got the wrong person because not everyone it has the right abil- the, the ability to run their own kind of little kingdom. And yeah. so um, it's, yeah, it's basically finding those people. And I know a lot of, maybe some of the listeners are um, aspiring syndicators or just beginning and they don't, they don't have maybe the money to do it. And I'm asking, you know, if you have, and I'm not saying you should cut your savings, but if you don't believe in yourself, if, not, if you're not going to invest with yourself, why do you expect an investor to do the same? Um, so you can start with maybe um, someone who works on an hourly basis and you can pay them on, you know, you can hire them for a part-time job remotely. There's a lot of cheap um, talent overseas. I, I haven't all my employees are, are us-based but you can still do that if you want to save money and then the money you're making from the first deal reinvested in the company and reinvested and it's just going to grow and explode um if you have the opportunity to do it and even allocate a few thousand dollars a month to hire someone highly highly recommend that you do that yeah yeah uh for people that don't know She's talking to me. Ellie's, <laughs> Ellie's my mentor. <laughs> and she, we've had this conversation before. This, uh, and it, it is. I mean, it's something that I for sure struggle with. In that, for, on both sides of it, it's like letting it go. To you know, getting someone else to do it the way you want it done, but then also like, well, that you know, we're spending money that we might not be making yet. But you're right. You're. I mean, you're 100 right. It's it's an investment in your business, and it's like. I have no problem investing in the business in terms of like equipment or what, you know, whatever you might need to the stuff that almost like on paper makes more sense, but, but in reality, it's like having the right people on your team. That's actually what makes sense, right? Like that's actually how you will grow the business and how you've grown the business. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah. I, as you're saying, I'm like, yes, I know, I know, but but I'm sure there <laughs> I'm are other. It's the only way. I'm just saying that you're, you're you can grow. I think that the growth is going to be a bit slower, and it's going to be more frustrating. It's not going to be fun for you. Um, I I didn't make money, you know, when I start. I think for the first, I want to say seven to ten months, and I know it's very quick, but there are other ways. I've seen a lot of uh, sponsors that joined other sponsors and did took down one piece of the syndication. So they didn't have to run the whole business. And then you get a piece of the promote and you can reinvest it and use some of it to hire and then you can grow and then maybe take a bigger piece in the next deal until you, you already have enough people that can help you take down a deal 
from start to finish. Right, right. And it's, I mean, that's, that's actually another really good point in the sense that for sure, this is a team sport, right? There, yeah. It's, and, and again, like myself, an example, I really was like, I can do this. I don't, <laughs> I don't need other people. I'm like, I'll have a mentor. She'll tell me what to do. I'll do everything. It'll be fine. It's like, but because that's how I've done most everything else in my life. It's like you, when you grow up in that, you know, sort of necessity mode, you're like, yeah. okay, well, I'll just, I'll just keep doing everything. And at some point you just can't, uh, and you certainly can't do this. And so the, the partnering with other people and, and, and being a small part of other people's deals in the beginning to get going is something that, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, myself included, have to, have to come to grips with. So, I mean, that's, that's a really great point, just that it's a, it is for sure a team sport and the, the faster you can build your team and, and have, you know, sort of the right people in place, the, the better you're going to do and the faster you're going to grow and, and be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your fund? I think that, uh, it, yeah. I think, you know, people listening may or may not be familiar with syndication, but I think that the, the fund model versus like individual asset syndication is, it seems a lot of people are going, the, you know, sort of in the direction of funds. Um, and I think it would be kind of a cool thing to talk about and maybe explain why you as a syndicator might go that that direction, but also then why a, as an investor, they might want to invest in a, in a fund versus an individual deal. Yeah, I think that investors, generally speaking, I mean, obviously you either like to invest in a specific deal or in a fund. Some are actually investing in both. And I have investors that put money in both. You know, we're, we have uh, a new deal now that we're raising money for. And so we have investors that put, you know, 100K here and 100K in the fund. Um, the, the, the specific deal, you know, the advantage is that as an investor, you know exactly where you are, uh, what you're investing in, you can vet the deal, you know what the market is. On the flip side, if you write a $100,000 check, then if the deal doesn't work well and if something happens, then 100K, that, that's at risk because you invest your entire, the entire amount in one deal. In a fund, you don't know what exactly the the you know what deals are going to be included in the fund um so that's kind of the the disadvantage but on the other hand the the 100k you're going to put in they're going to be divided over five six seven ten assets so you're in terms of the risk you have lower risk because you, you basically it's the power of the diversification that you don't get with a specific deal um I actually thought that most investors would like, would prefer the individual deal structure. Yeah. And we started Rev Funds in uh, about a month ago, we launched it. I was surprised actually, I didn't expect that many investors to like the fund structure um, and people were, were happy about it. It's, um, they like the idea of diversification because the fund basically says we're gonna purchase mainly class B value-added assets, potentially class A as well. And it's going to be across five different states. And you're going to get diversification, not only 
of different five to 10 assets, but it's going to be diversified in different states. So if something happens in the economy shifts, then not all markets are going to be react and be impacted in the same way. So your money is more protected because you're investing in a fund that has that is basically very diversified. So that was the idea behind um, behind the fund. The surprising advantage that many investors don't think about is that right now everyone knows that it's a very very uh, competitive market, extremely competitive, and one of the ways of actually getting the good deals is to say, I already have the money in the fund. It's ready to go. We're ready to go. And so the seller looking at two offers, even if one offer is slightly higher, but you, the, that, that uh, buyer needs to go out and raise the money and just a chance they're not going to be able to, you have another deal that the money is there. So the surety of closing is very, very high they'll get that deal that they'll, they'll award the deal to that buyer, even if it's not the highest price for the most part, because you have a higher surety of closing. And so investors in funds and in, in our fund and rev fund, they have um, access to the best deals in the market because we can compete even better than we could until now. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think on the, from as the actual syndicator, I feel like that's that's a very clear advantage, right? You've essentially, you know, got the money in the bank. Here, here we go. We're good. We're good. Um, and and so yeah, I mean, I guess I the diversification on on the uh, investor side of th things, the the LP makes makes sense as well. I'm curious, uh, are you able to? So suppose you have an individual deal. Can you use the fund? Can, basically, can you fund an individual deal from from two sources, from fund and then individual investors? Like if you have a subset of investors that want to invest in individual deals, and then you have your fund, can you combine those onto onto a, a single deal? Yeah, that's what we're doing yeah. right now, actually. So okay. we allow some we allow investors to choose if they wanted to invest in the new deal through the fund, through Rev Fund, or through directly through the, um, the investment, the, the deal itself. So basically um, the, the fund and the other deal specific LLC, there are two LLCs, they're both yeah. uh, investors. So in that sense, there's not much difference. Not all deals are gonna offer it this way. Some deals are just gonna be purchased directly by the fund and some deals we're going to offer it both to the fund uh, we're going to purchase it in a fund and also allocate some of the equity to investors because some of my investors still like to come in and invest specifically um, in in a specific deal. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Do you do you find that in my head, I would think that the people that would want to invest in the funds are going to be like the large in institutional investors, like family offices, pe people, the really high net worth individuals, and then people that might want to do I don't know why I think this. I just that people are maybe not putting in as much money, want to be in individual assets, do you, or do you feel like it's pretty divided? Um, it's pretty diverse, actually. Family offices like funds. Uh, it really depends on the family office. Some of them like to vet every deal, so they're never yeah. going to invest in a fund, and some of them like funds. Um, and then, actually, high net worth individuals 
they they like both. They they like the fun. I think it's easier if they know and vetted and if they've heard you know about the sponsors not the first time that they hear about the sponsor so a sponsor which i would say the the better track record that you have the stronger track record the the more likely it is for investors to come in into the fund um because there's some history there there's some um projections that you can compare to actual performance that you can show and so investors when they see that they say okay the the deals that are going to be purchased by the fund, um, they're more likely to succeed because we see that history. Um, but family offices and individuals, they're both, um, they're, they're pretty much, you think it's kind of a, um, it's a combination between the, the specific deal and the fund. You can okay. find investors, you know, on both sides from uh, either as um, family offices and high net worth individuals. Institutional, it's a little bit of a different story. I think most of them don't like funds. I think they like to sit parallel to the fund. Um, it really depends on the investor though. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, probably a lot of those institutional investors have their essentially their own team of people that are deciding what deals they want to invest in and not. So if they're just putting into the fund, then those people don't have a job <laughs> they don't they don't need to if they're just going to put it in your fund then they don't need to have these people that are evaluating all of that um and then i i think that the fund structure is is actually very interesting uh when so i guess going forward do you think that that'll be i don't the the way it's going to be do you think that that's how it's going to go. Do you think more and more people will go to the fund structure? Because I would imagine it's very hard. It would be very hard for a new syndicator to just start a fund and have people, if they have little to no track record, just be like, yeah, sure, we'll give you our money. I'm sure you'll do the right thing with it. Whereas an experienced investor like yourself, you, you can trust that. You can say, I know, you know, she's been doing this. We know that she knows what she's doing. She makes good investments. She's conservative. Like uh, everything's already in there to sort of have that level of trust. I think it's going to be, yeah, like you said, a bit more challenging. Nothing is impossible. You can do whatever you set your mind to, but I think it will be a little bit more challenging. Um, it's also more expensive to start it as a sponsor. Um, the upfront costs are much higher and the main thing is that if you're just starting it's going to take you time to get to the first deal in that time frame even if investors are wiring the money early you need to pay them something or you can choose not to but then they're less likely to wire the money because you know I've, I've met actually some experienced sponsors that started funds and the money was sitting there and then the market shifted and they couldn't find any deals that were um, basically matching the, the, tar the, the uh, target returns or criteria. So for instance, um, one of the sponsors that I was speaking with maybe three years ago, he had a fund, a multifamily fund, and they were still looking for 18 to 20% IRR. That was very hard to find even three years ago yeah. and very high cash on cash. And once the market shifted and cap rates compressed, then they couldn't find those deals. All the IRRs were, you know, lower 15, 17%. 
And so the money was sitting there and it was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure on that sponsor because he couldn't find deals to match the, the uh, investment criteria that he set because the PPM that investors sign, that's the binding contract. And so that was, you know, one thing that, that adds more complexity. So if you don't know where the market is and you don't account for any uh, future changes and the money can sit there and you, you're going to be very pressured to find a deal because your investors will want to start getting distributions at some point. And investors, they have to come first. You know, the investors is the first thing I think about when I start working and the last thing, um, even before I go to bed, because these are the people that trusted me, the people who still trust me, they trust me with their savings, with their wealth. There's no bigger responsibility than, than this. And if you as a sponsor, if you're not worried about investors, then I, I don't know, maybe you're the some you know unique person but i worry all the time it's something that is on my mind all the time even when we do great i'm worried that you know i don't what's going to happen maybe next month what's going to happen when interest rates are going to increase what's going to happen with inflation there's a lot of things that can happen am i set up today do i have enough to to deal with it do i have enough reserves all those questions um and so my point was that there's, you know, investors, they have to come first. And if you're starting a fund and you don't have a track record, it's a little bit hard to, to do that. Because I do think that the best way is to start by partnering with someone who already, you know, is, who's been doing larger deals and take a small part of, find some value. Doesn't have to be equity. It could be something else that you can assist with and, and grow this way. But that would be just my opinion. Of course, there's no one way of doing it. There's so many ways you can do it. I'm going to be the last person to say, you know, you cannot do something because I, I just don't believe in, uh, in the combination of can and not. Yeah. I, I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say that maybe it's not you can't, but you shouldn't not care about the investors. I think saying that the that the sponsors that don't care about the investors are unique is a really nice word for what for what that is. I mean, you you you're absolutely right. Like that has to come first. That that's essentially the whole point. The whole point of of syndicating everything is really should be for the investors. Otherwise, you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught doing something sort of irresponsible at at, at the very least. So I think you no, know, I think unique was a very nice word for it <laughs> but, but yeah no it's great um ellie i don't want to you know I, I know you're busy so i i do want to kind of get to some of the questions that i like to ask at the end um so the name of the podcast is know your why podcast so would you tell us kind of what is your why what and i know i believe whys change you know through our lives as our situations and things like that change so your your why when you're a young a young kid uh, starting to work to help your family versus your why when you're a successful real estate syndicator is probably different, but there's probably, like we said, that stuff doesn't go away. So what, what, what would you say is your why at this point? Take care of my immediate family. Um, you know, I'll leave it at that. Always has been, and I think always will be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a very powerful why that's, taking care of the people that you love is is about all you know 
you don't need much more than that to be driven. Um, tell me something that maybe people don't know about you, uh, a hobby, something, something that's just not common knowledge out there. Um, I like, uh, I like to drive and I'm actually, I was hoping to take my car to the track this weekend, but I think it's going to be raining. So, um, I like to take driving lessons and I need to wear, uh, you know, a, uh, well, anyways, I, I love driving. That's one of the things that most people don't know about me. Um, when I need to um, decompress and, and think or just enjoy some me time, I get in my car, I drive around and with some music, it really calms me down. It focuses me. It's one yeah. of the things that I love the most is just driving. Oh, that's awesome. And the, on the track, that's uh, that's got to be exciting. I've never done that before, but yes. I imagine it's it's very much very fun. Um, we'll put, uh, put things in the show notes, but how, how do you want people to reach out to you? Um, you can Google my name, Ellie Perlman. Um, you can go to my website, ellieperlman.com and, um, on the website, you, if you're an investor, you can leave your information there, or if you want to reach out, all the contact information is there. So I think that would be probably be the best way to do it. Sure. Just okay. through my website. Yeah, through the website. Awesome. Okay. One final question. What advice would you like to leave for people that maybe come from similar background, have a similar story uh, to help them achieve all that you have achieved? Never let go. Never let go and never listen to someone who says you cannot. Um, I think many people are giving you advice, not necessarily because they, they still want the best for you, but they're speaking out of their own perspective. Um, always listen to advice from someone who is successful in the area that you want to be successful at. So um, if you are looking for an advice from someone about um, your relationship with your partner, uh, I wouldn't listen necessarily listen to someone who has been um, dating on and off. And that's obviously I would go to someone with a steady um, history with uh, relationship with, with um, their significant other and the same goes with business or with any anything actually you know in life always listen to those who were are were successful in that area that you're seeking the advice um, on and and that has been you know that has been something that I was that was one of my rules um, and I'm, I'm glad that it was and that it st still is actually yeah yeah find someone that's that's doing what you want to do and follow their blueprint. I mean, it's not, <laughs> you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to, you know, do something crazy to get there. You can use what they've, you know, sort of shown as a good path. And then, you know, as make your tweaks along the way, I think, I think that's great. Um, this was great. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time uh, and having you come on the podcast. Uh, I, I'm sure everyone will get a lot of value from listening to this. So, so thank you very much, Ellie. Absolutely, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, thank you.